Welcome to the Man Whore Podcast. Hey, all you Valentine's Day consumerist zombies. This is Billy Presida, and you're listening to the Man Whore Podcast. What is up? How you doing? Welcome to the show. I am your host, comedian Billy Presida, and if you are new to the program, typically I talk to women I've hooked up with about sex and dating and love and sexuality, gender. This week's episode is a, is a little special. It's very different from anything I've ever really put out here. Let's just say, uh, for all you longtime listeners, you should recognize a lot of the voices on this week's episode. But before we get to all that, uh, I've got a few show dates for you. Hey, Philadelphia, Philly, next Wednesday, February 22nd, I've got a couple shows. I will be at the Good Good Comedy Theater at 830 uh, I, I it's some kind of show that has to do with weed. I don't have too many other details, but it sounds like fun. And then I will be at Milk Boy South Street at 930. Okay. If you if you don't want to write those down, just go to manhorpod.com slash comedy. You'll see those dates and more listed there. And uh any New York singles, specifically ones in your 20s. Uh, I am doing a 20-something speed dating event on February 25th. Okay, I want to see all my fellow millennials out there. Come on out, go on some speed dates, and then, you know, hang out with me, have a drink, chit-chat. Go to onspeeddating.com. You can find the event there. Use the promo code Billy numeral 5 at checkout to get $5 off your ticket. That promo code Billy5, by the way, works on uh, any event on that website. They do uh, speeding events in New York City as well as Austin and Los Angeles. Again, that's onspeeddating.com. I had myself a good weekend. I would say it's been a good week for Billy. You know, I went to lip service on Friday, had a good time, wore my, uh, you know, you want to know what I wore to lip service? Of course, I wore my sexy high-waisted lace boxer brief menagerie. Oh, man, I felt fucking just smoking. Got lots of compliments from a whole lot of people. Many, many were impressed with my outfit, which was simply just me wearing my menagerie. And it was, uh, look, I'm telling you, fellas, you got to get this stuff. People who date fellas, you got to get your man one of these. It is ooh, so choice. Only when wearing my menagerie do I just like instinctively run my hands down my thighs and go, God damn, Billy. Plus, they make your ass look very grabbable. And menagerie is offering free shipping to all of my Manhor podcast listeners. Go to buymenagerie.com, use the promo code MANHOR for free shipping off your order. Plus, I get a little kickback. They know where, uh, they know where you came from. You go to buymenagerie.com, B-Y-M-E-N-A-G-E-R-I-E.com. This weekend, we got another party. We're going to Hacienda. The uh, The theme is crime and punishment. I've decided I'm going to go as the Hamburglar. If I can find myself a red tie, an annoyingly big black hat, and a cape, I'll bring a, a bag of McDonald's, maybe just like give out french fries. That's got to be an in, right? If I'm like the guy with the bag of McDonald's french fries... That's got to be like, hey, I got maybe I should maybe I should fuck that guy. Why not the Hamburglar? 
I don't I don't want what am I gonna wear? A tacky like black and white stripe jumpsuit or orange jumpsuit. There's gonna be at least seven slutty police officers. I I would like to go for something a little different. It's the first time I've felt creative about an orgy outfit in a long time. Oh, the, the emails keep pouring in, the tweets, the messages, all keeps coming in. This coconut oil saga seems to continue. Uh, lots of controversy with the coconut oil, apparently. I get an email from Hasmin in Belgium. She wants to add to our ongoing coconut discussion. She titles the email, uh, don't use coconut oil on a salad. Just don't. It's gross. However, uh, egg and banana pancakes fried in coconut oil, quite splendid. All right. So uh, just keep your list of coconut oil do's and don'ts going. It seems like it's going to be a weekly occurrence. I want, to, I want to point out a particular tweet. This is more of a public service announcement, I think. This comes from at KenzieB1992. Note to self, listen to Man Whore Podcast through plugged-in headphones, not phone speakers. Now my coworkers know I'm weird. Thanks. Yeah, Kenzie, I, I could have told you that. I, I appreciate you want to spread the word by playing it in the office, but this is hardly a safe for work podcast. I, unless you work in like a BDSM dungeon or a porn store, I really don't think there's any workplace environment that can handle the amount of butt stuff that comes up on this show. So plug in those headphones, but you know, tell the cool kids in the office like, Hey, you know, I'm checking out this man whore podcast. Here's a link. <laughs> Hope you didn't get in too much trouble. Now, on to this week's show. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's a lovely time of the year. It's the Valentine's Day season. You love it. You hate it. You hate consumerism, but you love discounted chocolate. You love having a special someone, but you don't want corporate America to tell you when to have it. Nevertheless, I thought it would be uh, appropriate to do an episode about love. So, uh, excuse the the quality is gonna be, the sound quality is gonna be a little different on this week's show because all of these were recorded remotely. But this episode features a lot of well, let's call them old favorites. A lot of voices the hardcore fan whores may recognize, and a lot of thoughts, opinions, and stories about life's oldest emotion. Let's get to it. Is this love? Is this love? Is Loving someone is kind of like building and maintaining a fire. Like if you ever started a fire and thought, all right, that's good. And then you turn your back and it goes out. I think love is the same way. You have this little spark and then you start to feed it and love grows. But if you don't keep feeding it, it can and it will die out. This week's episode is all about love from the women who wouldn't love me. I reached out to the past guests of this podcast and Ask them their thoughts and opinions and stories on, on love and heartbreak. So let's start with the genesis of it all, that first love. And I'm excited to start it off with one of at least my favorite guests from the podcast, my good friend and fellow hot mess. This is Andrea Allen from episode 61. There is the love that you have for your family and friends and then romantic love. And they're both equally important. I don't know. They both have the ability to, to destroy you uh, and also fulfill you in ways 
that uh, I guess make life exciting. So my first love was a guy named Nick Hoffman. Uh, I met him when I moved to New York and I was 19. I moved here for college and he was this redheaded, very eccentric guy. I met him at a club. He was dancing up a storm. He seemed very confident and fun. And I just was attracted to how much he didn't seem to care what anybody thought of him. So I asked him on a date. We went to Coney Island, which is an amusement park in New York. Um, we went on the rides and got sick <laughs> and from all the candy and terrible um, roller coasters. And then we lied in the beach <laughs> surrounded by heroin needles because Coney Island is gross. Then we went back to his place. He made me dinner. We, st he, I stayed over and then uh, like a week later, I lost my virginity to him. And he was, I don't know, he was my social life in New York. He was the, my first boyfriend. I remember when uh, my friends came to visit me from Canada, he sort of set up all these excursions for us. Like he would go out with us and dance and, and like just do all the fun girly stuff and not care. Uh, he just, he was so goofy with my friends and, uh, and I was sitting at a bar. We, we'd gone to a show. He had a lot of friends who were musicians, which was really cool. And he set up this whole pre-party thing. And then we went to the show and I looked over at my friends and they were all having so much fun. And then I looked at him and he just seemed like he was having so much fun. And I thought like, wow, this person just wants everyone who's important to me to be happy and um, I so I told him that I loved him, and he told him he told me he loved me back, and that was that was pretty cool. Uh, it was exciting. It was nerve wracking uh, to say that to someone. Um, I haven't said that to anyone since. This is Alexa from episode one oh nine. So my first love <laughs> was a long time ago. Oh man, what does that say about me and my? coal-hearted soul. Anyway, um, yeah, so my first love was in college. He was uh, one of my first, actually my very first serious boyfriend. And from what I can remember of those four years in college and then four years after college when our relationship deteriorated, um, those four years in college, though, I truly believe, and still believe, even despite all the crap that happened, um, that I was incredibly, madly, deeply, head over heels in love with this guy. I remember running all over New York City to find him a Super Nintendo, uh, old school Super Nintendo, because he never had one growing up. And I remember just coming up with that idea and and going for it because I knew that he would just lose his mind when he got that gift. And he did. So I got him like all sorts of uh, uh, like old school Super Nintendo games, Super you know, like Super Mario and all that stuff. And he loved it. And I remember spending more than one day trying to find... Uh, a working Super Nintendo for him. Um, and it was cold and 
it was just miserable outside, but I knew that I could not leave New York City without finding one for him. It's Emily from episode 139. My first love was a high school boyfriend. I thought it was love, you know, looking back, um, it seems to me like it was just teenage silliness, <laughs> but uh, we started off sort of in the same friend group and we, of course, were like passing notes to each other in trigonometry class and it was very cute and sort of flirty and we spent basically the entire homecoming dance together at the end of the homecoming dance he's like hey you know like do you want to go out and I was like oh my god of course and you know so we were like boyfriend and girlfriend officially it was very thrilling um mostly for me because I didn't get a lot of attention from boys in high school I was really good. I was like really smart. I got really good grades. I was in choir. I was in the musical. Uh, I just don't think I was that appealing to a lot of boys. And um, so this was just like really exciting for me that I actually had a boyfriend. <laughs> Looking back on it, it was doomed to ultimately fail because we're just so different. Our backgrounds are so different. His family was essentially evangelical. My parents are good New England progressives, and I was raised with, you know, liberal values, and I don't, I was just too young and smitten to see that it, it was just a bad match, and we ended up staying together for quite a while. I mean, one notable example is that early on when we were dating and, you know, I was like six, I think we were 16. Um, he said, it's going to be really hard for me to not have sex with you. So I need you to be strong and, and help me through it. And I was kind of just like, eh, I don't know about that. So essentially it was like three months of like constant blowjobs until finally, I think he convinced himself that like we would get married so it would be it would be okay to just do full like p and v intercourse <laughs> um so and uh, like we obviously didn't follow the abstinence rule um we ended up dating for three years it finally like started to sink in when we both went to college and I started to become friends with, you know, I went to NYU. I started to become friends with people that were living in the city and going out. And he was always very concerned about whether I was going out and drinking and who I was hanging out with. And at some point he said something about, um, yeah, you know, we both know people who are gay and, it's certainly something I can tolerate, but I don't know if I would ever be a true friend to someone who chose to live that way. And I, it sort of suddenly hit me like, wow, this is, we're so not the same kind of person, but it still took me probably six months to, to really pull the trigger and break up with him. I was so afraid, uh, of being a bad person, which is obviously pattern behavior of mine. And it was awful. And he like cried and, but it, it's so clear that we're, we were going in different directions. And 
I mean, the end of that story is that I still live in New York and I'm happily unmarried and I live a life of like doing weird yoga shit all the time and working whatever hours I set um, for myself. And he now lives in Orlando, Florida and has four kids with a woman that he knocked up shortly after we stopped dating. And then they got married when she was seven months pregnant because that's what you do when you're evangelical Christian. So uh, we've ended up in very different places, but that's the story of my first love. Yeah. But what is this feeling really? It's easy to talk about love in the abstract, but you know, what does love mean to you? What does love mean to me? Love is farting in bed and laughing about it. Love is respect, support. It's tough. It's hard to describe. It's like, what the hell words do you want me to use to describe love? That's nuts. Loving someone is just like being truly present with them. Hey, this is Penny from episode 127. I heard someone say once that Buddhists believe if you meet someone and your heart pounds and hands shake and your knees go weak, that person is not your person. That when you do meet your person, that the one you love forever, your lobster, whatever you want to call them, that you feel calm, that there's no anxiety and no agitation. Now, I have to admit... I have not studied Buddhism enough to say whether or not this is absolute bullshit, but I'm pretty sure it's based in fact. Um, That's not to say you won't have those heart racing, weakening moments with your person. But real lasting love feels more like a steady, calming warmth that spreads over you and inspires you to be the best person you can be, both for yourself and for your partner. The one thing I know for sure, love is unconditional. That's not to say it's not work and it doesn't take effort and a lot of self-evaluation, but it's unconditional. You have to accept the flaws in each other and celebrate the good. In the moment that you limit it or add conditions of any sort to your love, it becomes poison and untrue. Unconditional love is love under any condition life throws at you. A bad day, a bad year, a bad five minutes, bad luck in general, whatever. It is not love no matter what you do to me, no matter how you treat me, no matter how you hurt me. This is Amber from episode 42. You don't need two people to feed a fire, but you definitely need two people to keep love going. Like when I think about this in the context of my current relationship, as great and seemingly effortless as things are between us, if one of us stopped trying, we wouldn't last much longer. Like a fire, we'd just kind of burn out and you'd just be left with this pile of ashes, nothing but a memory of what was. I think that love is, besides being beautiful, I think love is about putting someone else's interests, needs, feelings before your own. And ideally that's instinctive rather than conscious. But um, love to me means self-sacrifice and devotion and sincerity and honesty. Love means to me a sense of feeling seen by another human being. There's a deep intimacy there, and it can occur with friends, uh, loved ones, lovers, even strangers. It's about taking on the world together. And the world sucks, as we all know (laughs) and are currently experiencing right now. Um, The world is a scary 
horrible place sometimes. But when you have love, A, it keeps you going, and B, somehow it all seems manageable. That's really fucking powerful. Another powerful thing I've heard on this podcast was during my episode with author Jillian Keenan. She discusses what love is to her and this moment she had with her husband where they acknowledged to one another that at some point it's going to be easier for her to leave than to stay. And at that point, she'll choose to stay. That's what she thought love meant. So I guess I have to ask, you know, do you think love is a choice? This is Jess from episode three. Is love a choice? Uh, no. Sadly, it is not a choice. I think that we wish we could make love a choice because sometimes we love the wrong person. For instance, my first love, to go back to that story, was a drug dealer. Um, You know, just dealing weed, but still kind of a loser. And to this day is definitely still a loser. But would I wish on anybody for that to be their first love? Probably not. Do I wish that was my story? Definitely. Definitely not. I think you don't choose to fall in love usually, but I think you choose to stay in love. Lasting love is absolutely a choice. Uh, You choose to stay in love. You make the conscious decision to keep this person as a loving partner to make the decision to be vulnerable and to learn to trust each other. You make the decision to work at communication and commitment, to support them and to ask for their support in return, and that you guys will stand by each other through all the difficulties you encounter in life. There'll be days when you want to quit and days where it hurts so much you question the the validity of the relationship and the work you're putting into it. There'll be days when you want to keep loving forever and days when you question everything. But it's those moments when you keep living, when you keep alive, those warm, rosy feelings that help to bond you in the first place. It's a choice. It's a conscious decision to stay together. Hi, my name's Kathy from episode seven. Uh, I find that breakups by nature of the word um, are really difficult, but they're especially difficult if you break up with someone who you're engaged to. And in my case, I was engaged at the stupid old age of, God, I was 22. I think the most important thing that I've gleaned from this over years of avoidance, reflectiveness, and other uh, stages post-engagement meltdown is that you can be in love with anybody and you can choose to stay with that person Um, but when you know it's wrong, you know, it's wrong. And if you don't listen to your instincts, you may miss everything. Um, all the signs, all the things you should have noticed. And I think relationships are work. I'm a big believer in putting in the effort to be a good partner But you know when you stop believing in that person to work at the relationship with you. And I think when you become at odds or you find that you have diametrically opposed ideas of what happily ever after is, or worse, you just lash out at each other repeatedly, um, that's when you know that it's more important to that person to be 
right or to be correct in their vision of themselves or so maybe they're self-righteous. In my case, I was in that experience where I was always wrong in the relationship. When you stop believing in that person and you don't think there's any more hope that they will put you first or work with you or believe in you, that's when I felt like it was completely over. You know, when you don't trust that person to believe in you or work for you. And that's what everyone has to do in relationships. They have to believe in each other. And after the cross-continental <laughs> meltdown breakup of mine, I realized that I was very happy to be in love with myself or at least spend the next year dating and loving myself. I um, ended my relationship, my engagement. I spent a year on my own. I spent another year casually dating people. And then I spent... <laughs> Billy, I hope you can edit that one out because my dog just found the ball and God only knows how long this will go. Um, I spent a year dating other people and it's in that time a year on your own, a year just figuring out what you're looking for, what what meshes in a relationship. It's in that time that you find you find good things. You find maybe maturity, but definitely compatibility and and friendship and companionship. And in my case, like I have a very happy ending so far. You know, and it's never over, but you know, at the moment I'm in a really good place and I am so beyond grateful that I didn't make a terrible mistake. It would have ruined my life. I would have been the most miserable, sad uh, shell of a version of myself. And it's not solely his fault, but we were not meant to be as devastating as it was, as hard as it was to take that leap and take a flight home back to the United States and say, I gambled and I fucked up. As horrible as that felt, it would have been way worse to stay. This is Anastasia from episode 62. I do think how we show love is a choice. I'm really into touch. I'm very cuddly. I'm very tactile. I'm a big one on valuing time spent together. Part of the human condition is that we can't perfectly telegraph our thoughts and our feelings to others. So I spend a fair bit of time trying to figure out how best to communicate with my partners, um, how I want to express love, how they receive love. Um, I... Um, so that's how I want to show love. I'm polyamorous. So kind of by definition, I believe it's possible to love more than one person at the same time. Um, I think it's kind of funny that romantic love is the only area that we make that kind of requirement uh, that if this is something that applies to more than a single person in your life, it's not valid. You know, no one would say that about love for family members or love for your friends, um, but somehow romantic love gets this kind of special position. Yeah, <laughs> you can absolutely love more than one person at a time. 
Some people are better equipped to do it than others. Some people feel like they can only love one person at a time and they're probably monogamous. And there's obviously nothing wrong with that since that's been the enforced societal norm forever. But there are some people who love more than one person at one time and rejoice in it and celebrate it. And that's just as wonderful as your monogamous love. Um, Some people are just better equipped to admit that they can do it. And I think a lot of it is being able to admit that you can do it. Because ultimately, love is not a finite emotion. Just like a parent doesn't only love one of their children, why would romantic love be different from familial love in that respect? It's, it's not like it runs out. It's not like you get a certain amount in your life and that's it. I'm not sure romantic love feels different for me than the kind of love that I feel for friends. Um, it's a stronger version of that, I think, for me, rather than a separate and distinct feeling. Um, Sexuality can be a part of how we express love, but it's not the same thing. Hey, this is Emily from episode nine. I think that different people can bring different things into your life, different aspects of a personality or looks or something sexual, I think that people bring different things to the table. So I do definitely think it's possible to love more than one person at the same time. I think it's possible, but at the end of the day, I think one just turns into less of a love, maybe even a lust. You know, I think that I have had a lot of loving feelings about other people, even when I'm in relationships. But at the end of the day, one pushes out the other. So Unfortunately, I think one one person wins out at the end. I'm not sure I've seen love even for, you know, two people at the same time being equal. I honestly don't even think my parents love me and my sister equally. Let's be serious. I'm all out of love. I'm so lost without you. I know you were right. Believing for so long. I'm all out of love. What am I? Oh, I can only imagine the eye rolls at the end of that last one. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, let's move on to when they are all out of love. Let's move on to heartbreak. And who better to start us off on that than, well, the source of my own heartbreak once upon a time. This is Lee from episode 14. Having your heart broken. Having your heart broken sucks, and it's not something that you can really describe, I think, unless you are in the throes of it. Even if you've had your heart broken before, um, I don't think you can really relate to somebody who is currently heartbroken unless you yourself are currently heartbroken. It's like childbirth in that regard. Everyone knows that childbirth hurts. Every mother who has had a baby knows that it hurts. But I think that there's something in your brain that stops you from really remembering how much it hurts. Um... Once you're past it, otherwise we'd never do things that put us back in that dangerous situation again. Um, Sometimes we love people that we shouldn't or that don't love us back, and that's a terrible feeling. (laughs) But at the same time, it's it's one of the most universal feelings, I think. Unquieted love uh, is found in all different forms of art, all different cultures, all different stories. And so I think for someone to experience it definitely helps you tap into uh, a greater experience. 
The first time I had my heart broken, I was a mess. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I had literal uh, chapped salt stains on my cheeks from the tears, and I hated it. I mean, I was not the kind of girl to wallow around in self-pity. I didn't want to be heartbroken. I hated that I was crying over a boy. Um, so it, God, it was, it was incapacitating. <laughs> it was not fun and I wouldn't wish it on anyone. I go through a lot of obsessive thoughts after a heartbreak or a breakup. It's, I can't stop fixating it on it. it I can't sleep and I want to sleep. Um, it's like, it's like a virus that has to just run its course through your body. And it's just so bad. Yeah. It's almost as if like that person is a virus and they're working their way out of your system is the best metaphor I can come up for it. This is Monica from episode 36. I am divorced. I don't have any kids, but I definitely know what heartbreak is. Um, I think the heartbreak you experience with divorce is far more profound than when you're in love with somebody and things don't work out. I think a large part of it is because of the promises that get made uh, during marriage, the fact that you really do combine your life with the other person. And so it it's just, it really is in some ways life ending. And I don't mean that to be so dramatic, but you really do build a certain kind of life around that relationship. Um, you know, when you get married, they say it's forever. So you start to think about your life in the context of being with that person always. And so it just is such a loss. And, you know, I felt like I was kind of going to into an abyss um, when my marriage ended because I had moved continents for this person. I had moved across country for this person, um, in order to support their career. Um, and so when it all came to an end, um, it just, it's amazing the tricks that my mind played on me too. I was living in New York at the time I had moved there for him. And for some reason, I just, I had it in my head that if we weren't together, then I couldn't be in New York. I don't know why or where I got that idea from. Um, but, but it was there. And so, um, it was really, to be honest with you, it was a complete mind fuck. Um, it just, it just really was. But, you know, you make it through. I, I'm a better person for it. I have an amazing life. So, you know, I did survive. Um, but it really is the kind of heartbreak, um, and change of life that just never quite leaves you the same. I think that's part of it too. When you sacrifice a lot of your life, um, to make it work, to make the relationship work and to be there for that person and show support. Um, and then, you know, they basically go back on their promise to love you forever, to be faithful, <laughs> um, to, to support you in, in maybe your career goals and dreams down the road. Um, it's, it's an interesting situation to say the least, but you know, we, we did have, um, many good years. And then I think, 
I felt like I was supposed to just be along for the ride and, you know, kind of be that Stepford wife that's just there for her husband. And unfortunately, that's not the person I am. I'm educated. I have an MBA. I had hopes and dreams and I was willing to put them aside for a bit, but I didn't want to just have a life where I was, you know, a trophy or I just kind of needed to be my husband's maid and personal assistant. So it just, it didn't work out. But, you know, like I said, the heartbreak break is so profound that it really um, messes with you for a long time, I think. At the end of the day, it takes two to get married. It takes two to get divorced. There's always something to learn. There's always, um, you know, a way to become a better person, even through that heartbreak. And I really do encourage people to explore that and work on that. But I know that I'm not a broken person because of divorce. Um, and, you know, I really hope that anybody who goes through a divorce can get to that same place where, you know, they know an entirely new life is out there, a wonderful life is out there, and somebody's out there to love them. You know, it's not the end of the world. Cause I would do anything for love, but I won't listen to Rush. And I would do anything for love, but I won't do uh, that prostate massage that you asked me to do without gloves because I'm just not there yet. I don't know what this is a lyric of because I'm not well versed in pop culture. God damn it, Alice. How do you not know... I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. But I'll do it as a line. I would do anything for love, but I won't do monogamy. I would do anything for love, but I won't do scat. And I would do Yeah, I indulged myself. I really fucking like meatloaf, and I wanted to figure out an excuse to put him in an episode. Until the day comes that he agrees to do the podcast, of course. Well, uh, it's not totally meaningless. For me, maybe meatloaf influenced my thoughts on love. He makes beautiful, beautiful ballads. But I do gotta ask, you know, ladies... What influenced your ideas of love? What influenced your perception of love? I, I think I have defined my own version of love based on my experiences more so than anything else. I'd say predominantly my family influenced my view of love. Um, I come from a really big, tightly knit, extend, extended family. Tons of aunts and uncles. I think I was one of like 30 first cousins and there's second cousins and third cousins and... Well, is it second? I, I don't remember the exact terminology, but cousins are having babies and those babies are having babies. And my grandparents lived to be great grandparents. I think my grandmother was even a great great grandparent before she passed away. Um, 
And when you grow up in a family like that, you see all different kinds of love. You see the really good stuff and the not so good stuff. But mostly I saw the good stuff. I saw really deep love between couples that chose to weather the storms and always celebrate the good times. If you take, for example, my grandparents, they were reserved folks. They were primitive Baptists who believe in obedience and fidelity and self-control. Primitive Baptists are the kind where there's no dancing and there's no music in church and it's, it's all very strict and stoic. Um, but, you know, around them, familial love could and should be shown openly and without reserve. It was romantic love that was much more private. When I look close, though, back at those memories, what I see is two individuals who chose to stand by each other and support each other. And they were two people who made it through the absolute worst. War, prisoner of war, illness, death, poverty, distance. But they always held on to the best parts. They were two people who respected each other and who encouraged each other and who in their private moments still flirted and laughed and showed affection. And I saw the bad too. I mean, I saw a lot of people who couldn't live without each other. I saw wives who submitted to husbands no matter the pain it caused others. Like the time I watched a mother refuse to go to her son's own wedding because her husband didn't support the marriage. And I watched that decision haunt her for the rest of her life. I saw the word love used like a weapon. I saw abuse. I saw hate replace love between couples. I saw what it did to their children, to their parents. I saw those crushing moments when the love is gone and those uphill battles when someone chooses to love themselves more than their partner. This is Alice from episode 33. I feel like I've been unlearning what the media taught me about love ever since I was a teenager. None of what the media portrays is very realistic, but it is almost all of our input as we're learning about love and relationships. This is damaging because people then have to unlearn those unrealistic lessons in order to have a real healthy relationship. I think the media and people's relationships around me definitely influence my idea of love. I, I think that seeing all these people finding love for a third time, for a fourth time, definitely gives me a little bit of hope that there's love out there for everyone. And that, you know, even if you're in a really bad situation, that it could get better. It could get worse, but <laughs> it could definitely get better. Probably music. Um I identify a lot with music. It, it sways my emotion. And uh, I often have like songs affiliated with people that I love or like in my head. Um, so it's the music to me is one of the things that best summarizes how I feel next to stand up. I mean, stand up is a, uh, is a more direct summary if it's coming out of my mouth, but, and you know, if someone else is doing it, me watching and going like, Oh my God, Exactly. But um, music is better at capturing the abstract for me. And love is pretty abstract. Uh, so that influences my view. I think a lot of music um, like exaggerates or makes love seem very hyperbolic, which is, I think, harmful. Um, like those cheesy, shitty, popular music love songs. I think they're wrong. And I think it it makes people believe that love is more magical than it 
love is work and it changes and it'll fade. Um, it's not just always like Katy Perry firework. <laughs> My favorite song about love is the song called um, Hey by the Pixies, which if you listen to it, will <laughs> show you that I am a jaded bitch. Um, but I think it's romantic and in its own way. Um, and realistic. Hey! Been trying to meet you. This is AJ Marischal from episode 110. I'm going to be reading an untitled poem uh, that I wrote when I was very much embracing not just my single years, but sort of my imperfections as a woman. Uh, and I hope you enjoy it. Maybe it's when I speed, maybe. Pavement worn out, your exit or turnoffs. And I'm sorry for coming so far or so hard. I'm sorry when I like to go places, when I like to be driven mad. See when I was already far gone, seen down the road or another bend, lost but going, all lost but knowing, and I never told you that slowing couldn't be my pace since though I may love you, it's not as much as the wind in my hair whipped deaf with relief. It whips past clean, and directionless is fine, so long as you can say smiling, watch her go, watch her go. Directionless is fine when the wind whips cold, and I'm lucky to move, watch me go. I may feel fast, but home is behind me, passerby. Your pavement's warm for an evening ride. I'll drive you away miles from here, but watch me go with nothing for now ahead. And now it's time for my favorite part of this episode because it's all about me. Oh man. Number eight. Uh, to summarize my feelings for Billy when we dated or messed around in one or two words. Well, <laughs> hmm. Ooh. I'm having a bullet bourbon at the moment. So I'm going to need another couple of sips before I answer this last question. You were a little bit annoying. You were kind of a pain in my ass. Intimidating. I was really intimidated by you and funny. Sweet and sexy. I love you. Good lay. Of course, I thought you were a great kisser. This is Jenna from episode 24. But then when I realized, I definitely felt like you were a complete jerk. If you really want two words, I'm sorry, but I would go with slightly condescending. <laughs> really sweet, but ultimately a bad fit. One step forward, two steps back. Kind of flaky, but very affectionate and basically decent. You were fun. Uh, you were, you were young. 
let's just, let's be honest, you were young. <laughs> You're a good kid. Delightfully absurd. <laughs> there is no better way to describe a stranger from Twitter coming over and eating me out while I drank whiskey and mash, <laughs> watched mash, than delightfully absurd. Ah. Uh, flaccid penis. There you go. There's your description, Billy, for our love. A love that never came to fruition. That was something different, something new, and I really hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, you let me know what you thought. Shoot me your comments and your questions, and uh, throw in some booby pictures too, to manwhorepod at gmail.com. You all know I love hearing from you on the social medias. I was, I was delighted to see from at Bootsy Bears says, um, hey, it's Boots. Thanks for reading our email on the pod this week. I want to play your advice before events for confidence. Quote, only suck the dicks you want to suck. It's my new sex party mantra. Well, uh, Bootsy, I'm glad that worked out for y'all. Um, I am uh, so happy that there are no more obligatory penises in your mouth. Good for you, lady. Of course, I'm on Twitter at TheBillyPresida. Uh, say hello. Use the hashtag ManHorePodcast. Let me know what you thought. Also, go like the ManHorePodcast fan page on Facebook. That's uh, the Man Whore Podcast, not Billy Persita. Billy deserves just a pinch of privacy. Hey, if you were unaware, there is a Man Whore Podcast subreddit. On there, there are individual comment threads for every episode. I also like to uh, post discussion topics, pictures, and articles that I'm quoted in. I had asked on there, uh, who, who would you like to see as a guest on the program? Benjitsu Warrior uh, suggested... Maybe a naked podcast with Bill, Hillary, and Monica in a triad. Uh, not so sure how sexy that episode would be, but get ready, get excited, because the mics are coming out and the pants are coming off. Yup, the naked podcasts are coming back in March. Be excited, be amped, and also be Page and I's Play Party VIP. Order before February 21st and get $10 off the price shoot me an email at manhorpod at gmail.com for details and inquiries i hope you all enjoyed your valentine's day with your special someone or someone's or hey maybe you got it on all by your damn self stay loving stay hopeful and as always stay slutty <laughs>